invite you to take your Bible this morning and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Restoring things like old furniture, old cars, old houses has become something that's increasingly popular. There's television shows, television series that have become very popular that do all three of those things. And people take something that either because of age or neglect or harsh elements has deteriorated and they renew it. They give it new life. Well, sometimes our spiritual lives deteriorate. Sometimes they, they get off track and they need renewal. Sometimes hard circumstances causes our love for the Lord, our love for His Word, our love for His mission to fade. And we need renewal. Sometimes neglect causes our spiritual health to deteriorate and we aren't walking with Jesus as closely as we needed to or we once did and we need renewal. And sometimes sin damages our fellowship with Christ and with others. It damages our witness to the world and we need renewal. As we look toward Harvest Sunday on October the 8th and a one-day revival, one of the things we're praying for as a church family is for spiritual renewal. It's our prayer, our earnest desire to see God renew our love for God, to renew our love for people, to renew our commitment to the Great Commission, to renew our commitment to the Word of God, to renew our commitment to what matters most. That desire for spiritual renewal prompted the psalmist to write in Psalm 85, Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? It was a desire for spiritual renewal that caused David to pray in Psalm 51 and verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew me with a kindred spirit. Spiritual renewal prompted Peter to write in Acts 3 verse 19, Therefore repent and return that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, the presence of sin had done some damage to the Corinthian church. And more than that, it was their tolerance of sin, their neglect in dealing with sin in their midst that was damaging the fellowship and was also damaging their witness to the world. And one of the reasons that Paul writes this first um, letter in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians, is to admonish them to get rid of the sin from their midst so that renewal can come. They needed to deal with this sin instead of just ignoring it. And as we observe the Lord's Supper today, one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper in the life of believers, in the life of the church, in coming to the Lord's table is to clean out the sin from within us. To clean out the sin that's in our own life. To clean out the sin that would be in our own fellowship so that we can experience renewal. And I want us to look this morning in verses 6, 7, and 8 in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul is going to deal with this this matter of spiritual renewal, of, of what would be necessary for God's people to experience renewal in Corinth. And so I want us to look together in these verses. If it's physically possible, I invite you to stand with me today in honor and in reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron and Bible inspired word. Verse 6, 1 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. 
For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God, I pray this morning, your Holy Spirit would sovereignly accomplish your desire in each and every one of our lives. And God, I pray that you would drive out the old leaven, the old leaven of sin in our lives, so that we might be on the outside what you've made us on the inside. God, I pray that you would expose sin in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that as you expose it, that we would repent of it. And Lord Jesus, I pray that it would be our earnest desire to get clean before Jesus today. God, we desire for times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord. We desire to see spiritual renewal in our life. God, I pray this morning, you might draw a little circle around this pulpit where I stand, and I pray you'd let spiritual renewal start right here. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for a greater love for you and a greater commitment to the mission. I pray for a greater love for your word. I pray for a greater love for people. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, we may all be on the outside what you've accomplished in our life on the inside. God, I pray this morning you help every one of us to get honest before Jesus. Not play a game, not put on a front, not fake it to make it. But God, I pray you'd help every one of us be willing to deal with the sin that's in our own life and to realize that it's standing. It's a wall standing to prevent us from experiencing spiritual renewal in our lives and our families and as a family of God. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. A couple of things by way of outline I want us to see this morning in this passage. The first thing is Paul's call for removal. His call for removal in the context of 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is calling on this church to remove a sinning believer from their midst. So in essence, he's, he's calling on them to exercise church discipline. In verse 1 of chapter 5, we learn that there was a member of this church at Corinth that had become a little too friendly with his stepmom. In fact, they had become intimate physically with one another. And instead of this church confronting this man about his sexual immorality and calling upon him to repent of his sin, they had just kind of ignored it. They had just kind of turned a blind eye to it. They were neglecting to deal with the sin that was prevalent right in front of their face. And so Paul confronts the church for not confronting the sinner about repenting of his sin, and if he was unwilling to repent, to remove him from fellowship. And Paul asked a basic question in the text that we read this morning. Do you not know, verse 6, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Uh, maybe a more modern figure for us to consider. One bu- don't you know that one bad apple spoils a whole bunch? We've heard that, haven't we? And that's in essence what Paul's asking in verse 6. Sin is a spiritual malignancy and it will not stay long isolated. What sin does, just like a malignant tumor, is it begins to grow and it begins to infect and it begins to touch more parts of the body. 
And that's what sin does in my life. It's what it does in your life. It's what it does in the life of our fellowship. The more it is ignored, the more it's tolerated, the more it begins to expand and touch more of our lives. And unless it's removed, it'll spread its infection until the whole the whole of our life or the entirety of our fellowship is infected and diseased. You see, sin is not to be trifled with. If we go to the doctor and the doctor says, you've got a malignant tumor, surgery is required, it needs to come out, that's exactly what we would want to do. But the reality is, sin is just like a malignant tumor. And it does as much damage as a malignant tumor. And as long as we allow it to stay in our hearts and lives, the more it's going to infect, the more it's going to disease, and the more it's going to sicken, make us spiritually sick. You see, God diagnoses spiritual health only by the standards of His righteousness. We oftentimes will diagnose spiritual health by other things. You know, how often do they attend this or how often do they come to that or, or, or whatever the case is. And God says, no, I'm judging spiritual health on the standard of my righteousness. And so what you and I have to do if we're going to diagnose our spiritual health this morning is we've got to lay our life alongside of Jesus and say, is there any place in my life where I am not like Jesus Christ? Is there malice in my life? Because there's not malice in Jesus. That means there's a spiritual sickness there. Is there lust that is there? Because there's not in Jesus. And if there's lust in my life, then that means I'm spiritually sick in that area of my life. Am I full of greed? Uh, If I'm full of greed, that's not true of Jesus. And so therefore, there's a spiritual sickness in my life. And so if you and I are really going to experience spiritual renewal, if you and I are going to get honest before God, then what you and I all have to do this morning is we've got to take the life of Jesus and then we've got to take our life and lay it alongside of it and go, where does my life not match up? Because in that area, I am spiritually sick. God judges spiritual health only by the standard of His righteousness. You know, we can be highly gifted, highly blessed. We can be highly successful and highly respected and highly sinful. Isn't that what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3? He says, you boast, you think you're this, you think you've got all of these things, but when I look at you, I see people that are poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And so what he's saying is, is, hey, you're judging yourself on, on this standard here, but when you lay your life alongside of me and you place it here, then all of a sudden you're falling miserably short. And we have to look at our own lives and say, hey, where am I not measuring up? Where is, where is my life not in alignment with Jesus? You say, well, well what do you think? You think I'm going to be perfect or something? Well, Matthew 5.48 does say, Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So what does that mean? Does that mean that, uh, that you and I are going to be perfect? No, what it means is, is that you and I need to be striving so that when we measure our life up against Jesus, that it looks an awful lot alike. It looks an awful lot alike. The believers in Corinth were spiritually sick. 
We see in verse 6 that they were full of boasting. We see a little bit later they were full of malice and wickedness. We learn early in chapter 5 that there was sexual immorality that was being ignored and neglected in their own life and in the life of their fellowship. And Paul is calling out to this church family and saying, hey, that's got to be removed. That's got to be removed. So you and I have to look at our own life. Is there boasting? Is there immorality? Is there malice? Is there wickedness? The things that he mentions in this text, are there other sin? It's got to be dealt with in our own life. See, here's the tragedy. Most churches and most Christians aren't getting beat by those around them. They're beating themselves. They're gifted. They're blessed. But they become enamored by sin. They become tolerant of sin. They become indifferent to sin. They become okay with it. You see, the reality is, is if we have sin in our life and we neglect it and we ignore it long enough and we turn a deaf ear to Jesus long enough, then finally we'll just begin to condone it. And we'll condone it long enough that we'll become okay with it and we'll make excuses for it. And we'll justify it. And when we do that, we're beating ourselves. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes, he might give us life and give it to us more abundantly. And Jesus gives abundant life as we come in subjection to his lordship and we pursue him with all of our heart and we allow him to transform us from the inside to the outside so that when we line our life up alongside the, line of Je- the life of Jesus, it looks incredibly similar. A couple of months ago, both of my boys were in worship service with us, and they sang and had some few people tell me after the service, um, boy, those, uh, those boys sure look an awful lot like you, especially that shortest one. Yeah, they, they look an awful lot like me. But you know what? They don't look exactly like me. They have some of my features Unfortunately, they have some of my um, less desirable characteristics. But they look an awful lot like me. You know what? You and I may never get to the place we look exactly like Jesus, but we we ought to look an awful lot like Him. And the longer we know Him, the more like Him we ought to look. In ancient times, when bread was being baked, they would pinch off a little piece and they would put it back and save it. And They would save it for the purpose when a new loaf of bread would be baked, they would take that old piece and they would put it in and they would knead it in with this new so that that um, old piece that had fermented, it would act as yeast and cause that new loaf of bread to rise. Well, in the Bible, as it is in Paul's illustration here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Yeast represents or leaven represents evil influence. And it doesn't take a whole lot of leaven to permeate a whole loaf of bread. And it doesn't take a whole lot of sin to permeate one person's life. It doesn't take a whole lot of sin to permeate a family of believers. And sin's nature is to corrupt and to spread. 
It never remains stagnant. It's just always growing. So instead of enjoying good spiritual health, the Corinthian church was seriously ill and on the point of collapse, and it was only drastic surgery that could save her. It had to be removed. He says, verse 7, clean out the old leaven. Paul gives an emphatic imperative here. Clean out. Get rid of the old leaven. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your midst. You can't, it can't continue to stay there because you're just going to get sicker the longer it stays. And notice something about the command that he gives here in verse 7. Is he gives this command for the purpose of their behavior being aligned with their identity in Christ. Look at it, verse 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in, you are in fact unleavened. He's saying Jesus has already done this work of transformation. He's taken you out of death to life. He's saved you by his grace out of sin. He's made you a new creation in Christ. Now it's time that your outward life began to look like it. To testify the fact that you've been changed. When Jews celebrated the Passover, one of the things that they would do in preparation for that is they would get rid of all leaven from their homes. And they did it for an entirety of one week. I mean, there was to be no leaven, none in the, any part of the house. Had to get rid of the leaven. And as followers of Jesus Christ who've been saved by the grace of God, each one of us who have that testimony should be separated from the old life. Get rid of it. Clean out the old leaven. If you got malice, clean it out. If you got wickedness, clean it out. If you got immorality, clean it out. If you got greed, clean it out. If you got a lying tongue, get it out. If you gossip, get it out. Get rid of it. It's making you sick. Just like it's making me sick. We have got to, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to get serious about doing what God has told us in His Word to do. And He's told us to clean out the old leaven. Get rid of the sin. Don't let it stay any longer. It's time for surgery. And here's the great news. Here's the great news. Jesus Christ, the great physician, He's the great surgeon. And He cuts you so clean. And he takes that sin out and he sews back up that flesh where he took it out. And he makes you whole again. Makes you whole again. He renews your life. So there's a call for removal here, but secondly, there's a call for for removal, there's a call for renewal. Believers in the church at Corinth had been saved by grace and therefore separated from sin, and yet they had either passively been condoning sin or they had intentionally been ignoring sin. And if their boasting that Paul refers to in verse 6 was about the sin in their midst, that even magnified the problem. We, we don't know, but in the context of what we read here in verse 6, It seems like their boasting may have been about the sin they had been unwilling unwilling to deal with. 
So Paul says here in this passage, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven. So Paul calls on the church to be holy and to pursue holiness. He's calling them to put away actions like sexual immorality and all that are not in alignment with who they are in Christ. Just put it away and be renewed. There's something important we don't need to miss here out of this passage. The Corinthians' tolerance of or acceptance of sexual immorality had evidently led to the appearance or the approval of other sins. Namely, he mentions in verse 8, malice and wickedness. And so this really is going to prove a point I just made a few moments ago. The sin they had refused to address was having widespread consequences, which is the nature of sin. It always has an extensive influence on us. So what we see here is this. Because they had tolerated the sin of sexual immorality that they had been unwilling to deal with, it made it easier for them to tolerate other sins, and evidently two of them, were malice and wickedness. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, if you'll entertain sin at this level, it won't be long until you'll tolerate sin at another level. And at another level. And if you'll tolerate it in this area of your life, you'll tolerate it in this area of your life. If they tolerate it in one area, they would be willing to tolerate it in another area. So if you'll tolerate sin in one area of your life, it won't be long until you'll tolerate it in another area of your life. Church family, if we're willing to ignore sin and tolerate it, it'll have widespread consequences. And so Paul calls us for renewal. For the lives of believers to be filled with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, these terms serve to collectively summarize the new way of life. We want to be sincere, and we want to be full of truth. We want to be full of sincerity. Now, the way that it's being said in our current day and time is, we want to be full of transparency. That we want to sincerely and transparently be following Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we want to have a standard of truth. That truth's not relative. That truth's not what I determined it to be or what you determined it to be, but what God's ter- determined it to be. And so therefore we are sincerely, authentically, genuinely, transparently following Jesus with all of our heart. And at the same time, we are abiding by the standard of truth that He has given us in His Word. So their lives were to come in alignment with what God's word and will was for their life. They were not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Calling them for renewal. Clean out the old leaven. And walk in the new leaven. Let us celebrate the feast with the new leaven. You see, Christ died, and this is so key. Christ died on the cross, not just to cleanse you from sin, but to transform your life. To make you a new creature. You know, we kind of hear about that stuff. We say, you know, yeah, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. Um, you know, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we, and we look at that and we think, that is, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be with other people. 
But no, that's the way it's supposed to be with me. I'm supposed to be a new creation. Old things passed away. What used to be true of me, not true of me anymore. Not conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing of our mind. David Brainerd, who spent a sh- his short adult life as a missionary to American Indians, wrote, it'll be on the screen, a couple different slides. He said, I never got away from Jesus and Him crucified, and I found that when my people were gripped by this great evangelical doctrine of Christ and Him crucified, I had no need to give them instructions about morality. I found that one followed as sure as the inevitable, one followed as the sure and inevitable fruit of the other. He goes on to say, I find my Indians begin to put on the garments of holiness and their common life begins to be sanctified even in small matters when they're possessed by the doctrine of Christ and Him crucified. One of the greatest protections from sin that we have as Christians is simply focusing on the Lord and the sacrifice He made for us. To look at our sin and go, you know what? The reason Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross? Because of my sin. Because of my sharp tongue. Because of my mind that's corrupt. Because of my actions that don't point other people to Jesus. It's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. My sin that caused him to be beat. My sin that caused him to bleed and die. And when you look at Christ and you look at your sin, you say the same thing. It was my sin put him on the cross you know what happens i mean we've uh, you know the passion of the christ whole thing watch that man that's hard to watch is it not if you've seen it it's hard to watch that and to think it was even more horrible than that but when you really get a look at jesus and him crucified and all of a sudden you think man i don't want anything to be true of me that would cause that to happen That's why we come to the Lord's table to dine. To not only remember that He died, but to remember why He died. We remember that He died, yeah, but the, maybe even more important, why did He die? Because of my sin. Because of your sin. Because of the sin of the entire world. You see, when you really get down to it, It was me that swung the hammer. That put that crown of thorns on his head. It was me that took that cross and raised it up. Let it fall into that hole. Jar all of his bones and joints out of place. You see, when you look through the crowd that day and... You see those Roman soldiers and you see those angry looks upon their face and you see them grabbing that cat of nine tails and getting ready to fling it into the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my face, you see. But you know, if you look a little closer, it'll be your face that you see. We swung the whip. We drove the nail. We put the thorns on him. We suspended the cross. As mad as we get at the Pharisees and as mad as we get at Pilate and as mad as we get at the Roman soldiers, that's not the only reason he died. 
He died because of our sin. So church family, I believe we ought to heed Paul's admonition and remove the sin that's in our own life. I believe we ought to cry out for renewal just like Paul did. Just like David did. Just like Peter did. Because I don't know about you, but when I line my life up alongside of Jesus, I don't look nearly as much like Him as I want to or as I need to. Dear friend, this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, He died as sure for you as He did for me. And it don't matter what sin you've committed, it doesn't matter where you've been or what your life's looked like to this point. If you would simply come to Jesus Christ, He'll take all your sin and wipe it away. You see, the, you see friend, Jesus was willing to endure all He did because He loved you. He was willing to allow you to swing the hammer, to swing the cat of nine tails, to put the crown of thorns on his head, to suspend it. He was willing to allow us to do all of that because he loved us, because he loves you. And he said, if you'll come to me, I'll forgive your sin and give you eternal life. So this morning, two things. If you've never trusted Christ, we'll invite you to trust him this morning. Come to Jesus. Receive the forgiveness of your sin. That blood was not spilled. It was poured out. He didn't do it on accident. He did it on purpose. He poured out that blood so that your sin could be washed away. And if you've never trusted Christ, we'll invite you to come and trust Him this morning. There's a lot of us, we've trusted Christ. We belong to Jesus. We've been saved. If you're anything like your pastor, you look at your life alongside of Jesus and you think, I'm not as much like him as I want to be or I need to be. So secondly, what I want to ask our church family and all believers to do is, hey, let's remove the sin that's in our life. And let's experience renewal this morning. Let's get clean before Jesus. And maybe you've been fighting with a sin for months, maybe even years. Jesus Christ will set you free, but you've got to come to Him. Or maybe this morning He's put His finger on something that you previously weren't even aware was a real problem, but you know you need to get it right this morning. Or maybe there's something you've been tolerating or justifying that Jesus Christ has exposed this morning Clean out the old leaven. Experience renewal. Because here's the good news. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a one of us this morning who has to leave here in sin. Forgiveness is available to anybody who will receive. Would you pray with me this morning? We're going to stand in a moment and sing and this altar is going to be open, and I'm going to invite you to come. If you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to invite you to come this morning. Say, what's going to happen when I get there? Well, there's going to be 
Brother Adrian here and Shane's going to be here and I'm going to be here. You can come to any of the three of us. It doesn't matter who you come to. And just say, I need to trust Jesus. And from that moment, we're just going to simply help you to do just that. Trust Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. There's no greater decision, no more needful decision in anybody's life than that one. And so, as soon as we stand, I want to invite you to come. If you've trusted Christ, if you're a Christian, what needs to come out this morning? What, what, what needs to be cleaned out? What sin needs to be turned from, repented of? I say, oh man, look, pastor, if I come, people are going to think i got all these big major problems. No. If they think that, they got a bigger problem themselves. Here's the reality. None of us are the perfect image of Jesus. We might look like Him a little bit, but not as much as we ought to. And what you give testimony of this morning is that I'm serious about looking more like Jesus. About being more in fellowship with Him. Of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You give testimony to a hunger and a desire for spiritual renewal. You give a testimony to being passionate about looking like Jesus. And I would hope and pray that would be all of our desire. Maybe this morning you are a guest and God said that He wants you to make this your church home. God's impressing on your heart to join in. We'd love to talk to you about being a part of this fellowship of God leads. We invite you to come. Father, I pray this morning that none of us would neglect to do what you called us to do. I pray that none of us would try to excuse or justify ourselves. I pray that we would become passionate. by looking like Jesus and our lives being in alignment with His. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for renewing us. And I pray, Lord, this morning your will would be done on every one of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. And if God leads, we'll invite you to come this morning.